0: In a sin-cursed world, people do horrible things and horrible things happen to people. And if we live by ourselves and just watch the news and think of those horrible things, we're going to be in despair. So that's the reason why we gather together, to be able to see something substantive that is the word of hope found in Scripture. God has established His Son, Jesus Christ, as King, and He will right every wrong. He makes beauty out of horror. This morning, I'm going to introduce my message from Judges chapter 21 by taking you to three countries of the world to just illumine for a moment some horrors that are happening on our planet even as I speak. The first story comes from Pakistan and the BBC. Farah, a 12-year-old Christian girl, says she was taken from her home in Pakistan last summer, shackled, forced to convert to Islam, and made to marry her kidnapper. It's a fate estimated to befall hundreds of young Christian, Hindu, and Sikh women and children in Pakistan every year. Then from Open Door USA about the nation of Egypt, an article entitled, Christian Girls Are Being Abducted in Egypt Never to Return. A Muslim boy tells a Christian girl he loves her and wants to convert to Christianity for her. They start a romantic relationship until one day they decide to escape together. What the girls don't know is that they are actually being kidnapped. Most of the time they will not marry their kidnapper, but someone else. A former Egyptian trafficker named Gahiji knows these details because he was once part of a network that actively targeted Coptic Christian girls to bring them into Islam. In the article, there's several things that tell the story and how people report uh, the abduction of their loved ones to the police, but the police do nothing on their behalf. In fact, police help kidnappers in different ways they may receive a financial reward that the kidnappers are paid by the Islamization organizations. Police can sometimes provide kidnappers with the drugs that they seize in drug uh, busts and then they they give the drugs to the kidnappers and the drugs are then used to weaken the resistance of the girls that they put under pressure. This Gahiji says, I know of cases in which police officers help to beat up the girls to make them recite the Islamic creed. The most shocking thing is that some girls, when they are forced to marry, they find out they are a second wife and treated as animals. Some are sent to Saudi Arabia and the Gulf to work as domestic servants and are exploited in every possible way. And then this story from Afghanistan. Since Kabul fell, reports have poured in of women and girls being beaten by Taliban forces. Some footage shows horrific images of Taliban soldiers beating a woman and her child unconscious. Those attempting to flee are being forced to turn away at Taliban checkpoints. Girls are being turned away from schools. Women's health clinics are shut down. Women report being refused service in stores and told to return only with a male relative as an escort. And the Wall Street Journal reports that Taliban commanders have demanded that communities turn over unmarried women to become wives for their fighters. There are also fears of young girls being kidnapped for marriage or enslavement. Pakistan, Egypt, Afghanistan, And this is not confined just to the Islamic world, my friends. I pick on these, but understand that women are abused and exploited in Christian world, in quote-unquote Christian circles, uh, Jewish circles, everywhere this happens. Here's a question. Does God fulfill His promises from dishonorable actions such as these? We have said even today already in this service that God will one day make everything right in the new creation. One reason that we can believe that is that God fulfills His promises not just using all things that are holy, right, and beautiful, but He actually takes human evil, human wrong, and human ugliness. And reshapes those awful things into the fulfillment of his plan for the ages. Now, let me hasten to add, this does not make evil less evil. Or wrong less wrong. Or ugly less ugly. But it should give us hope that we will see God make holy, right, and beautiful in his coming kingdom all things, even though what we may presently see in our lives personally or globally as really bad. This morning in Judges chapter 21, our concluding chapter in the series, we will face human evil, human wrong, and human ugliness of a kind that makes us cringe. It looks very much like the stories that I have told you from Pakistan, Egypt, and Afghanistan. The the events of chapter 19, where this woman is horribly abused and killed, and the events of chapter 20, where there is a civil war that nearly wipes out the tribe that had the people that belonged to this group that perpetrated that evil, The events of chapter 19 disgust us. The events of chapter 20 discourage us. But here in chapter 21, the events are just plain embarrassing. It's impossible to read this chapter and not be embarrassed. Embarrassed for the nation of Israel. Embarrassed for the tribe of Benjamin. Embarrassed for ourselves if we attempt to justify the events here and we can even feel embarrassed for god where is he what is he up to what's happening here does god approve of this fake holiness that we're going to see this murder this kidnapping and abduction of innocent women not just once but twice the answer of course is no he does not approve But, God can turn even evil into something beautiful. If He could not do that, if He did not do that, then it would be difficult to conceive that He will make the mess that is my life and yours into beauty in his glorious kingdom if he can do it here he can do it for you and me if he cannot do it here then we should be doubtful and in despair that he would do it for us but if he can make something beautiful here here's the hope he can do so in my life and in yours too Let's stand for the reading of Scripture this morning, Judges chapter 21. We'll begin with the first seven verses, and then we'll make our way through the rest of the chapter as we go. Now, the men of Israel had sworn at Mitzpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. There'd been a civil war. All the Benjamites, except 600, have been killed, and now they're saying, we're not going to repopulate the tribe from our folks. We've already made a promise, a vow, that we won't give his daughter in marriage. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly, and they said, Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mitzvah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. Please have a seat. Here we are introduced to the fake holiness and a problem. In verse 1, there's this rash vow, similar to the vow that we saw of Jephthah back in chapter 11 or so, which serves only to limit them. This is not to gain approval from God. This is fake holiness, saying, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. There is, however, in verses two through four, a genuine lament for what's going on. They had been part of the civil war and Israel had conquered Benjamin at great cost to themselves and had destroyed 25,000 Benjaminites and there were only 600 left. And so they're weeping bitterly because one tribe is nearly disappeared. In verse three, they ask why? Oh Lord God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? Why? Asking God why. Isn't that something? That when we make a mess of things and then when things get messy for us, we ask God why did this happen to me as though God is to blame. (laughs) There is such a thing as the general common grace of God that quite frankly, gets us out of most of our messes. But that general common grace of God should not be relied upon to get us out of every trouble. It's not His compulsive duty to do so. Some problems deserve our careful reflection as to our own responsibility, don't they? Israel, rather than asking God, why did this happen, should really be saying, God, why are we such a rebellious people? What is going on with us that we are in such a bad condition? What's wrong with our hearts? They ought to have sought God with self-reflection. Instead, they ask why as though God is to blame. Sadly, We often lack the self-reflection necessary in our own lives too, don't we? You might ask, well, how would I get that self-reflection to be able to see myself for how I really am? Well, my best counsel on that is to read the Bible and to have a good friend. The Bible will tell you where you are going wrong, and the good friend will agree with the Bible rather than with you. What a lot of people do is they don't read the Bible and they gather a friend who will tell them what they want to hear. That does not lead to self-reflection of a kind that leads to growth. Verse 4, Israel acknowledges that this whole thing of being uh, their rebellion is true at least in part or they wouldn't have done all the offerings that are offered here. This getting up early, building an altar, offering burnt offerings and peace offerings like Leviticus uh, commands, that's basically an acknowledgement we did wrong. But notice that it's just generally wrong. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you by saying something like this? Well, if I did anything wrong to offend you, forgive me. What kind of a confession is that? It's empty. It's empty. And and you almost get the sense that there's an emptiness to Israel's acknowledgement that they have done wrong. And what they do, instead of really owning their own sin, they move into problem solving mode without any reflection. And this is quite often our common response, right? We've got a mess, we're going to try to solve the problem. And that's what Israel tries to do in verses five through seven. They say, okay, who didn't join us when we engaged in this civil war with Benjamin? Who didn't come to join us in the battle? Because they had actually made two oaths rashly. One was that none of their women would marry Benjaminites, but their second oath was anybody who didn't join us in the civil war, we're going to put to death. We're going to kill them. So they're trying to solve the problem. In the process, they have compassion for Benjamin, their brother. And the question, what shall we do for Benjamin? How will we get wives for those who are left? There's only 600 guys left. There's no women. There's just 600 guys left of the tribe. What are they going to do? They're torn between their oaths and their sincere desire to help Benjamin. And that leads, believe it or not, into a worse mess. Let's look at verses 8 through 15. And they said, what, is, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mitzvah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword. Also the women and the little ones... This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that is lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the Rock of Ramon and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive, of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Here we see the problem partly solved. The problem partly solved. Not party solved. I don't know how that happened. But the problem partly solved. And it's solved by murder and kidnapping. Uh, Verses 8 and 9, there's an investigation. Who didn't go with us? Who didn't go with us in the Civil War? And it turns out that Jabesh Gilead, way over in the Transjordan area, did not participate. And for you, all know that it's the last sermon in Judges, so you got to have some maps, right? And uh, this is the map that we looked at last week where we saw the events. Gibeah is where the horrible thing happened to the young lady The Israel gathered at Mitzpah. They fought against Benjamin around Gibeah, and a bunch of Benjaminites ran over here to this rock of Ramon, and this is where they hold up. There were 600 of them left, and Israel is kind of doing things between Mitzvah and Bethel in terms of trying to reach out to the Lord. Here's a larger map that kind of sets it in place. So, over here, way to the northeast, is this town of Jabesh Gilead. This circle is where at Shiloh and Labona, there's uh, some things that happen later on in our chapter it, that's pretty far north of where we're at. But all of the events that we're describing are hap- that were in the other map happen in this red circle here. So you get a sense of just how far away, uh, let's back up here, Um, how far away Jabesh Gilead is from the events here, and they didn't join in. And so they send 12,000 guys up to Jabesh Gilead, and they're gonna kill them all, right? What do we do with the non-participants in the Civil War? Well, let's kill them, almost all of them. Now, what's interesting is here, God had told them to do this to the Canaanites in Joshua, right, he had told them to do that in, in Joshua, But did they do it? No, they didn't. And now that they're not told what to do it, they're just making up their own rules. Now they're gonna do it to their own people. This is horrible. Second problem. Their second problem is how do we repopulate the tribe of Benjamin? Ah, here's what we'll do. We'll force the virgin women of Jabesh Gilead to do this. We'll kill everybody in Jabesh Gilead, but we'll, we'll save the virgin women. Why save only the virgins? Well, one reason might be so that any children born will be known to have a Benjaminite father. Another reason is that this whole chapter seems to be about fake holiness. Israel makes a rash vow and seeks to keep it. They don't want to defile Benjamin, whom they nearly wiped out by sending them kidnapped women who were not virgins. (laughs) Do you see how the fake holiness of legalism, which is basically making up rules and then seeing that you make them and then compliment yourself on how holy you are, do you see how destructive that is? It's a mess. Now for Israel, it resolves in part the tension of Israel's vow not to give their women to Benjamin but still get wives for the Benjaminites. So in verses 13 to 15, word is sent to the Benjaminites who are holed up at the Rock of Ramon, 600 guys, proclaiming peace. These men return from hiding and the women of Jabesh Gilead are given to the Benjaminites. There's 400 of them. But as there are 600 Benjaminites, there's not enough women. And the people have compassion on them because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes." So what do we do about the remaining 200? Let's read verses 16 through 25. Then the elders of the congregation said, what should we do for wives for those who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters for the people of Israel had sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, behold, There is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin." And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, nor did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The rest of the problem is solved by abduction. Verses 16 through 18, yet another problem is now identified. What do we do about the 200 Benjamites that have no wives? We got 400 taken care of from the women of Jabesh-Gilead that we kidnapped. But what are we going to do for the rest of the 200? There must be an inheritance of Benjamin. Otherwise, one tribe will be lost to Israel. And notice how they say how the women are destroyed out of Benjamin in verse 16. Verse 16. What should we do for wives, for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? Whenever you want to avoid personal responsibility, use the passive voice, right? Who was it that killed these women from Benjamin? It's the people of Israel did it. They wiped them out. But they go, the women are destroyed. You know, like, it's not my fault. You know, the the vase is broken, not I broke it right? (laughs) They're always wanting to distance themselves from their own culpability here. We made a vow, they say, so we can't give our daughters to Benjamin in marriage. The Women who were available from Jabesh Gilead are all taken, so what do we do? So, verses 19 through 21 presents their solution. They give instructions to the Benjaminites. The Israelites don't the other Israelites don't want to be involved in this plan. They want Benjamin to carry it out. There's a feast of the Lord up in Shiloh, which is actually the place where the Ark of the Tabernacle was. And, and it's, it's up north of Bethel, and they're gonna, he, they tell Benjamin, go, lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. And as part of the feast of the Lord there, there is all kinds of celebration and the women dance and all of that. And what you do when the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances that are part of the feast, each Benjaminite should go and snatch a girl from the number to be his wife and head back to Benjamin. That's their solution. They actually have to justify this in their own mind, don't they? Verse 22 when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will have the following justification. Grant the girls graciously for this purpose. We didn't take the girls. Benjamin did, which means that our vow is maintained. We didn't give any girls to Benjamin. And you didn't give the girls, which means your vow is maintained. So, this satisfies everything, right? It's It's a solution that appears to satisfy everyone, except, I suppose, the 200 women. They are not somehow consulted here, are they? Benjamin does kidnap the girls and took them home and rebuilt their cities. Everybody goes home, verse 24, likely relieved that this is done. And verse 25 forms the conclusion. This is a phrase that is used from chapter 17 onward in the book of Judges. It really forms kind of a picture or a conclusion to the whole book, but particularly the last two episodes of the book, where you have these two Levites. The first Levite from Bethlehem ends up going to the highest bidder, he, and he, he just uh, leads the worship at this fake, weird worship center. It's just a distortion of the worship of the true god and then you have this levite and the and his concubine and the episode that leads to her murder and then the civil war that happens and then here in chapter 21 the repopulation of benjamin all of this is headed up in judges 17 6 18 1 19 1 and now in 21 25 in those days there was no king in israel No king. This is horrible. I love how Tim Keller concludes this chapter. He says, An assembly which had gathered to do justice for a single raped and murdered woman ends up planning and promoting the murder of an entire town and the abduction and rape of girls of two Israelite towns. That's their answer to this grave injustice. Is it any wonder that the book concludes, in those days there was no king, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. I have said many times now that the theme of the Bible is to say, God is at work among people to demonstrate that He alone is qualified to build His kingdom. And every time we try to build our own kingdoms, we make a mess. And it's true in politics. It's true in business. It's true in the church. And the temptation to build our own kingdoms is unbelievably powerful. And the book of Judges is here to tell us the horrors that happen when we seek to build our own kingdom. The king that Israel needs will not appear for another 1,200 years. And when he comes, Israel will kill him. May I ask you a question this morning? Which is the worst sin? The abduction of these girls in these two towns or the killing of the Son of God? Why are we repulsed by the abduction, kidnap, and abuse of these women and accept the other as just that's how God does it? Why are we horrified by the one thing and not horrified, by our own sin. Why do we think that that sin leads to horrible things that go for generations and not somehow think that our own sins do exactly the same? May I share with you the gospel according to Judges? Here it is. Just as God took the mess of these people in Judges, the horror of rape and abduction, kidnapping and forced marriage, and from that somehow enabled Israel to live, so God took the worst crime that ever humanity has done and affected the salvation of the human race to share in God's glorious kingdom forever and ever. We have no king. We can't make for ourselves a king, but God loves us so much, he sent us our king. He died for our sins and rose from the dead, and even now, he's preparing a place for us. And this king, this king will be the judge of all the universe, and he will right every wrong. I don't know how he'll do it all. I just know that he who called the world into existence and the universe with the words of his mouth in six days will be able to do so. I love the phrase in Genesis chapter 1, and he also made the stars. (laughs) That just gives you a hint of his power. Please settle in on his power to save and redeem and to reconcile. Here's how Jesus puts it in John chapter 5. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. (laughs) This is the gospel according to judges. It tells us in horror who we are, and it leads us to see a salvation from another king. Now, there's a second line in verse 25, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was spiritual darkness. The only trouble was they didn't realize they were in darkness. Israel thought they're doing just fine here. If you polled Israel, would have been 98% in favor of the stuff that happened in this horrible chapter. So you're not gonna get truth by a poll, are you? They didn't even know they were in darkness. Their efforts at integrity, making a vow, destroying a town, abducting women to provide wives, reflect the Canaanite values that are around them, the Canaanite values that they're swimming in, far more than the ethics of God's Word. But before we jump down on those Israelites, it's very easy for us to judge them, isn't it? Before we jump down on those Israelites, let's examine ourselves. How often does my effort at integrity reveal my being an American rather than my being a Christian. We will all have a king, and for most of us today, that king is myself. I am my own king. Dear ones, that king will fail you. Human effort leads to the kinds of actions that we see here in Judges chapter 21. This is what happens when we try to save ourselves. And it leads to King Saul, who comes from Gibeah, the place where the girl had been killed. And he actually, in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, goes and rescues the people of Jabesh-Gilead so that when he dies, it's the people of Jabesh-Gilead who take his body down and with honor bury him. Uh, Honoring him. Why? Well, maybe his family is made up not just of people from Gibeah, but also people from Jabesh Gilead from the population of the tribe of Benjamin. Isn't that crazy? I just find it crazy that that happens. That's human effort. Let's think about divine promise. It leads to preservation of the people of Israel even though people did horrible sin in trying to save themselves, both in the book of Judges and with Jesus and today. You may say, my mess is so horrible that nothing can repair it. You might say that. You may even have been abused every bit as much as these girls from Jabesh, Gilead, or Shiloh and you may be wondering, does God even see me? You may even have been part of abuse of some kind or another as a participant. The testimony of the Bible is here to tell you that if you are in despair that your mess is so horrible that nothing can repair it, the Bible is here to tell you that that despair is exactly right if you believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, th- that, that's all you got is despair. It's what I call Disney theology. Just believe in yourself and every all your dreams will come true and Tinkerbell will wave a wand and it's all fine and wonderful. Well, no, it's not. It's horrible. This is what we're left with at the end of the book of Judges. But the testimony of the Bible is here to tell you that that despair cannot be more wrong if there's a king in heaven who loves and rules and judges with perfection and absolute purity. There is hope. In fact, this king will take all the wrongs and not only right them, He will use them to make something even more beautiful and holy and just and true. This is your God, dear ones. This is your Savior. This is your Jesus. This is your King. In a sin-cursed world, people do horrible things. And horrible things happen to people. God has established his son as king who will right every wrong. He makes beauty out of horror. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. from their eyes, and there shall be no more sorrow, or crying, or death, or pain, for the old order of things is done away. Behold, Jesus says, I am making everything new." O Heavenly Father, help us to embrace the gospel from the book of Judges. Our own works are filthy rags. They lead to a mess. But there is a king whose name is Jesus. Lord, I pray that anyone in the sound of my voice who's never put their faith and hope in Christ would do it right now. They just say, Lord, I, I got a mess on my hands. Um, whether it's things that have been done to you or things you've done, maybe both, Lord, would you, would you open people's eyes so that they can believe this good news that there's a, there's a Savior, a King named Jesus that if we turn from our sin and, and believe in what He did at the cross to forgive us, we have eternal life. So that all of us would sing together right now, all I have is Christ in His name.